0: I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1965. The artists Booker and Foster, the album You Don't Have to Be Jewish. Uh, My guest this week is Joe Guilford. His father, Jack Guilford, was in that record. So thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, uh, Jason. This is a real privilege and uh, a distinct honor because I don't think anyone else in the entire world is dedicating a, a an interview show to the album. You
0: don't have to be Jewish. It's true. It's true. We've I think we've talked about this once before, but not with the not from the perspective of somebody who knows somebody who is on the record. That was with uh, uh, Lisa Popeil uh, of the Popeils that you would know. The Popeil uh, uh,
1: devices. The home. Yes. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. So she is the Popeil fisherman. The Popeil peeler. Yes. What else did
0: they make? Uh, oh my God. So many. I mean, oh, at some point there's a food dehydrator. There's so much stuff
1: that made my acid trips <laughs> so much fun <laughs> because they were only on very late night TV. And oh, sure. Work. I wonder. There was a voice. Who who did her father, by any chance, or a relative, do the voice?
0: It's possible. It depends on what. what, Well, yeah, it would have been her dad at the time. It's a good question. I don't know if he voiced those over or not. It was a
1: little voice. It was a little guy. He talked in a high voice, and he said, "Uh, "Dice, slices, and chops." It really, really works. (laughs) And we just would repeat that, of course, in our in our state of being, (laughs) in our elevated state of being. Mm -hmm. We would go. Really, and we would take out this thing from the refrigerator and go, it really, really works. <laughs> <laughs> it God, was a it. sweet little voice. They were very unprepossessing spots. They were like really badly done, but really and I think they sold millions.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. And including, there's a weird one that I'm really fascinated with. She knew nothing about it, obviously, because she doesn't have anything to do. It's it's her dad and her brother. Her her brother is the most recent Mr. Popeel, but her dad was the Popeel. Um, there, they had this record that was a horse race, and uh, there's this Python record called the Matching Tie and Handkerchief that has two interwoven tracks on one side. This had eight. And so it was wherever you dropped the needle was going to be the winner of the horse. And I don't know how they managed it. I've been trying to find the engineer for a while now, but I want it because that is an impressive, without crossing the tracks, they somehow made eight, uh, not concentric, but eight I'm I'm
1: imagining it. I have a bit of a mechanic. For a Jew, I'm very handy and mechanical. But (laughs) Uh um, uh, I'm imagining it as Uh a uh, a freeway cloverleaf.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yes,
1: because, you know, records, LPs are mechanical, Yeah, as I... Comfortably segue into the favorite subject of this broadcast. Mm-hmm. LPs are are, are machines mm-hmm. in and of themselves. I also think books are machines as well. By the way,
0: it's you fair. need to
1: operate them. Mm-hmm. They they have switches and things like that. They're not they're wrong. not they're they're, they're human powered. Mm-hmm. No less mechanical than a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I would I can imagine now the spiral, yes, going off into various different destinies, yeah. Yeah. as it were.
0: It's so strange I, I want one they're not easy to come by but i'm, I'm gonna hunt one down at some point and, you're
1: lucky and... i'm not on acid now with that to think about <laughs> the,
0: the the diverging spirals oh my
1: god i'm getting smoke coming out of my ears um anyway uh jason yeah 1965 um was a was big was the 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 launching period for my father after his blacklist. So yeah, um, and and that was in the up to um, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum,
0: mm-hmm. the great
1: Broadway musical that he was in with Zero Mostel, mm-hmm. and by that time he started working so much that this is why I was taking so much LSD. It's, mm-hmm. It was no it was no supervision at home anymore. <laughs> my parents were out raking it in. Um, and God bless them. They really worked hard. And, and um, anyway, um, I know you didn't ask me a question, but I just went off on my. No, we got to
0: start somewhere, and let's Good. start there. Let's start. We we did. We started with yeah, the blacklist. I, you know, right. This record I, is a who's who of, of Jewish character actors, which I love. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't I don't know about George Foster, but I'm pretty sure Bob Booker's not Jewish. I could be wrong. Uh, no, but, but if they produced you know, it. First
1: of all, when he did the voiceover on one of those and they announced, first of all, there was that section called Quickies. And mm-hmm. I love this record because they announce each thing with a title.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As if there's a card girl coming out, you know, the round numbers. Mm-hmm. Quickies. And mm-hmm. then with each title, it was terrific. And then on the other album, there was, and I'm there was, you don't have to be Jewish, and then when you're in oh, love, right. the whole world is Jewish. Yes. I listened to both last night with my girlfriend and we, they, they, I left out loud and continuously it is really funny jewish music. and you know these jokes these jokes are cave paintings in terms of jewish oh, humor sure they are the original you know this is these were the jokes that parted the red sea <laughs> these were booked in you know uh, cairo or, you know whatever it was the, the 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 nile um and and we were listening to it and then you don't have to and, and and you're in love when the whole when you're in love the whole world is Jewish. There is another section of sort of quick sketches that they call shtiklach, mm-hmm. which is Yiddish for shtick, and, okay. and 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 he called it shtick. He says and he said in his stentorian goyim voice mm-hmm. went shtick, the plural of which is shtiklach. <laughs> these were guys who appreciated the Yiddishkeit, mm-hmm. which is plural for, you know, it's a synecdoche for, for Yiddish, mm-hmm. um, is they appreciated the uh, Yiddish-Jewish heritage of comedy because they'd be nowhere without it, of course. Of course. So I, I just adjo- I adored it. And, and I not only – I was at an age where then I was um, much more aware of my father's work and career after that because I just turning 11 and 12 and 13. And it was also a way to meet young ladies, Sure. He's Jack Gilford's son. They just had to drag me along. We brought <laughs> Jack Gilford's son. It was it was it started to be something after a while. Mm-hmm. But not quite then. But when he did You Don't Have to Be Jewish, um, it was a huge hit. Yeah. The record was a huge success. Everybody had it. And oddly enough, <laughs> oddly enough, you know, he got recognized at that time. He was getting recognized for the Cracker Jack commercials.
0: Oh A yeah, historic
1: okay. series of commercials that played for more than a decade mm-hmm. or maybe three or four new spots a year. And there's a reel of them on the Internet that is the complete one. And they're brilliantly clever, funny 60-second and 30-second spots that are mostly done without a vocal script. Mm-hmm. They're mostly pantomime, my father doing pantomime. And um, they ran from about 1962 to 1972. And they played not on children's programming. They played on Johnny Carson.
0: Mm, okay.
1: They was selling Cracker Jack on Johnny Carson and they were very sophisticated commercials and very wonderful and in an age when ad agencies and TV commercials competed with each other to be clever sure. not for sales, cleverness is what sold products the Benson and Hedges spots, the Hertz Avis spots, the Alka-Seltzer spots and the Cracker Jack spots
0: I mean so they anyway. had everybody, they had Nichols and May trying to sell beer and shit, they had all the smartest funniest people Absolutely. And that became the,
1: the language of, of advertising became comedy. So he got recognized for this, but then this recording comes out. And he's being recognized for the recording. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: I mean, it's a very distinctive voice because he was such a a monument in the Jewish community. Sure, he does have a distinctive voice, but it's not as if people overheard him talking and then said, "Hey, you're that guy." No, they knew he was Jack Gilbert. (laughs) They would come up to him. So good. And go, "Oh, we love the crap, but we really love that record," and it was a huge
0: hit. Yeah, this is this is one of those that, again, Bob Booker is just, you know. friggin' he just keeps hitting them out of the park. I mean, he also made, don't get me wrong, a bajillion comedy albums. But with the first family alone, this feels like the first family was in, you know, a lot of houses, but I'm imagining this was in a lot of Jewish houses.
1: Because oh, I'm it, sure. You know, yeah.
0: this is this has gotta be as close to like the first family of uh, you know, your average Jewish household that was that was up up for <laughs> this I kind of understand.
1: humor. I think I think this was the beginning of the, the the sort of twilight of of exclusively Jewish comedians. There was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think, by this point, Jewish comedians were. This is very sloppy statistical analysis. Sure, sure, I sure. I think they. I think they may have been maybe in the majority because I'm counting the non-Jewish comics: Red Skelton, Jackie Gleason.
0: Mm-hmm. Name another. Good luck. I. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. George
1: Burns. No, George Burns was Jewish.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, that's true.
1: Had a not a very Jewish name,
0: mm-hmm. so
1: I think that it was like ten to one,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just mm-hmm. off the top of my head. Yeah. And then the list of Jewish comics is endless,
0: mm-hmm.
1: endless, mm-hmm. buddy. Hackett, uh, Alan King, uh, Danny Kay, my father, Zero, other stand-up comics too. Um, so anyway, I think it was in non-Jewish homes too, because otherwise I'm you sure. can't sell, You can't just you can't just sell to the Jews. Sure, it's a it's a it's a wonderful fantasy.
0: It it, 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 it you know what I think? Yeah, I think that fantasy is operating in my brain because I'm then uncomfortable as to why the why people are buying it. Are they buying it because they know some Jewish folks, and this is a fun reminder of what they know, or is it? Let's laugh at the Jews. That's that's then becomes my concern. I don't you know,
1: I think it's. You know, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. If we only lived in a world where there was lemonade as, and no water, mm-hmm. we would simply buy more lemonade, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and water would be scarce. But it was a time when I don't think they were putting out, it, you don't have to be Irish.
0: Right, right.
1: They weren't putting out, you don't have to be Gentile.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they were putting out, you don't have to be Jewish, which is such a portable and timeless expression. Mm-hmm. Because also, it, you know, those guys were so brilliant, Booker and uh, and,
0: um, and Foster, his partner,
1: yeah, and Foster. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant in the sense that just I don't, I don't remember them not making me laugh. Sure. And yeah. first family, uh, Ashonda, on my neighbors, but we listened to it well after the assassination.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I'm it's sorry. a good record. We
1: did not put it away, <laughs> <laughs> and I think Jack and Jackie would have wanted it that way. Yeah, I, I presume, of course. But there's also a book I have. And I'm going to find it now, and I'm going to sort of vamp while I try to find
0: sure, it. Sure, please do. It is the
1: book that Bob Booker created with writers like Bruce J. Friedman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I'm going to find it. Please do. I can't find it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, it's called, excuse me, sir, but you, my eye is in your elbow. Uh-huh. And it's a collection of photos done like a comic strip.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, and, I hear. And, I see it on on Amazon. Yeah, uh, look for
1: it on Amazon. Right, or it's on Goodreads. And my, so, here it is. Yeah, And I think right. my father did that well after this album. Okay. So Booker Booker was somebody that uh, that that liked my father a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, understandably, it's. I mean, it's. It is. Uh, your dad for. I mean, obviously, great actor, but a character voice, a voice which you share. It, it is kind of. It it is uncanny. Uncanny. I canny. I, lo- I love when it's not always that it happens, but everybody every once in a while, I have somebody come on and. I might push them to do an impression of of their parent. You don't need to. I don't, it's...
1: <laughs> you know, my brother is just really like it's really? spooky. Really? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons why I don't call my brother, but uh-huh. one funny. of them might be construed as, "Geez, it's like it's like listening to my father." Yeah. And here it is. It's good.
0: You got the book. Ah, oh, it's a good cover too.
1: And um, there were scripts in here, but this is I know, This is like Kurt Anderson now, Studio uh-huh. 360. Today on Studio <laughs> 360, we will be looking at the photographs <laughs> of Cartier-Bresson. Like, excuse me, how do you do that on radio? And you know what? He does it. So if you get this book, listeners, this is a collection of, um, of still photographs of my father put together in the comic strip style. I so love if you it. Like, it's almost like a graphic novel. And um, such authors as Terry
0: Southern... Uh-huh. Arthur
1: Copet, Herb Gold, Jack Richardson. Do You know who Jack Richardson? I was? don't know that name. He was um, uh, he was he was uh, married to um, um, uh, Ephron, oh, oh, Ephron. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. He was and he was married to Anne Richardson, who became Anne Richardson who who is Kate Roeyfi's mom. If you know who that is, if you're I a don't. literary person. I okay. Don't. Then Bruce J. Friedman, you've heard of mm-hmm. Booker and Foster, Alan Ginsberg. Sure. Philip Roth, uh-huh. and Gregory Corso, wow. this is who a... was who was um, Ginsburg's lover and mm-hmm. poet in mm-hmm. Beatnik. It's a really cool book. But when the list starts with Terry Southern mm-hmm. and ends with Gregory Corso, you are in a whole different era. And this these is... guys are already emeritus. What year is this? It is. Some stolen from it. a library. I always uh-huh. hate that, but that's life.
0: Sixty-eight looks like nineteen sixty-eight.
1: Sixty-eight. Yeah, it's already in the uh, in the the crotch of the countercultural era.
0: Crotch <laughs> of the counterculture era. Sorry, I didn't uh, mean. to Crotch though. on you know,
1: FCC. <laughs> you're gonna lose your FCC laws. Yeah,
0: sure. It uh, looks
1: great, and there are screenplays <laughs> in it too. That's amazing. By Terry right. Southern. There's a short screenplay by Terry Southern, and the book is called. Pardon me, sir, but but is my eye hurting your elbow?
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's good. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to to now this. It.
1: Yeah, yeah. I hope your listeners know who the Terry Southern is. <laughs>
0: Well, one no. hopes so. Here's the thing, you know, it, you never know. It There's depends on the movie. age of the listener. A, so he
1: wrote a short script in this. He uh-huh. wrote a feature script, too. Mhm. And it's called Dr. StrangeLove. That right. everyone will
0: know. Yeah.
1: That's Terry Southern.
0: One assumes. One assumes worth worth a watch. <laughs> worth a watch. Kids got promise. This uh, this record, uh, you you already made the point that it, it definitely has, it, it, they're all the jokes you've heard before, but they're done in a, a fun way. They're done, what, 65? Not that Vaudeville was, Vaudeville was dead, but it was still uh, kicking a little bit because, you know, they bring out the old dudes every once in a while on, on Ed Sullivan or even the Smothers Brothers later on, and they, you know, hack and cough through a sketch. And uh, I, I say that with love. I, I enjoy watching old Vaudeville performers. I don't care how old they got but it's it's also is there okay this might be a little too heady but is there any sort of an element of a reclamation of ethnic comedy here because i got to tell you going back if you ever look at these old vaudeville guides it was always some goy trying to like right hey, here's how you play a black fellow and i'm not, i'm using the kind version here's how you play a jewish guy here's how you do this and then you know it was you didn't have you didn't have to be jewish to play a jewish person on stage for the longest time
1: it's true and some Jews also played Indians. Sure, yeah. Mostly Italians, though. Um, I know the guy on F Troop. Oh, yeah. The chief was Italian. And then the Indian on the commercial, the one who cried at the pollution. Yes. Probably the most famous. And they tried to, to try to replicate the Indian nickel when they did it. It was a very mm-hmm. moving commercial. He was Italian, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he lived off that for many years. Oh, but sure. But anyway, no, I don't think the album is ethnic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will I will stand in in, in blasphemy here, but <laughs> I don't think it's ethnic. I think the fact that it says Jewish humor on the label is simply an advertisement for good jokes. Okay. I think that's code yeah. for funny. Yeah. And it's like uh, they needed a topical sort of channel. I don't think if you said the best in comedy with luge kobe jack Gilford, da, 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 da. i don't mm. think you get the same results also these guys were this is these are This is a concept album like yep. first family was real concept album in the sense that there wasn't it it wasn't uh sketch segments
0: mm-hmm. it
1: was a day in the life right it was a documentary it was a mockumentary yeah. Of of the of the Kennedys in the White House. Yeah. And it was brilliant in that sense. And also, you felt like you were really there. And um, who? I used to remember the name of the guy who played the Kennedy role
0: uh, Vaughn Meter. Vaughn Meter. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. He was fantastic. He was. Led a very was... weird, fucked up life. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's what I said. Show business. Mm hmm. Um, let's see. He's a handsome fellow. I'm looking at him mm-hmm. right now um how long did he live oh well decent sort of yeah 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 not a long time he's he died when he was my age Uh sadly yeah um but um yeah what what happened to him
0: uh well uh i i will very quickly uh promote uh the episode where i spoke with his widow on this podcast worth listening to uh but what's so funny is i dug into his life backstory and i'm like it can't be this insane it can't be that this guy gets stabbed by a taxi driver and that his whole and all this shit and that his whole life falls apart because Kennedy dies and I speak to his widow and she's like yeah no that's mostly true and um, I will tell you it it gets darker where I'm like oh maybe I don't like him as much as I thought I would but the story's interesting the story's interesting but
1: Well, was he a co-producer and writer of the record, First Family? Nothing to do with it. just a performer?
0: Nothing to do with it, and he didn't want a sequel record to happen. He almost refused to do it, even though he was under contract, and they pushed him, and then supposedly at the end of it, he said, ah, you know, thanks, guys, for pushing me. I'm glad I did it, Um, because they did that sequel record right before.
1: I see that one of his credits, Mm -hmm. film credits,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is, first of all, Lepke in the Walter Winchell no, he played oh, okay. Walter, no, sorry, he played Walter Winchell Okay, in the
0: movie Lepke. Interesting. I don't think I need that. Which is
1: a gangster movie starring mm-hmm. uh, Tony Curtis, obviously, as Lepke, and that was a Menachem Golan movie, mm-hmm. and Golan Globus, that's a whole, that's a. That's another show, I'm not even going to go into it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Golan Globus, but then he's in a movie called Linda Lovelace for President.
0: Yep. <laughs> That one I remember.
1: <laughs> and that is not a regular movie, is it not? Is
0: um, that... You know, it, no? it is. It, it, is. Uh, it oh, does it is. have the actual Linda Lovelace in it, um, but it is, I think it is a, you know, uh, <laughs> it is close to a straight-laced uh, non-porn movie as you were going to so get. So it's,
1: it's a naughty, crazy movie.
0: Yeah, it, that's my impression. I've yet to see it. Don't know if I, oh my God, I'm just looking at the images from it and just wondering uh, if I ever will watch it. My guess is no. <laughs>
1: Oh, boy. Uh-huh. Um Uh-huh. This is great stuff. Uh-huh. Anyway, for uh-huh. poor Vaughn Meter. Yes. So, but he didn't die from the guy stabbing him in the taxi.
0: No. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, do, I don't... No, he did not. That was just a, one of those little side things that happened after his life started to fucking fall apart. You
1: can't really, Jason. You can't blame that on him. No. Just because a guy's life falls apart... Yes. ...doesn't mean it causes someone to stab him.
0: <laughs> that is fair. So
1: Because, and I have proof, Mm -hmm. I've absolutely, I can win this argument right now. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, I don't mean to belittle you.
0: No, fair. Please. Please. (laughs) No,
1: I'm a a professor. I'm used to it. Mm -hmm. Um. Um. Because Norman Mailer's wife Mm -hmm. stabbed him. Oh.
0: (laughs) Did not know that. Fascinating. He was on
1: top of the world at that Mm -hmm. time. (laughs) He couldn't have been more successful. (laughs) Holy shit. He just wasn't, wasn't the best husband. Mm
0: Mm-hmm
1: wasn't the warmest husband
0: that'll happen that'll uh, happen lovable cuddly norman mailer <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 skip back to sure. who a man who i can only assume is cuddle, cuddly and lovable your dad um he seems like it. I will tell you. That is that is his absolute, absolute charm running from the beginning of his career all the way to, again, the most, I think the latest thing I ever saw him in was those couple episodes of The Golden Girls where he's the most adorable thing I've ever seen on on the planet. It was
1: just on. It must be on more than the upper other episodes.
0: It might be, yeah.
1: Because I get an email, I get every quarter. They must be recycling the syndication so rapidly. Mm hmm. It was on a long time, so that's a long cycle. Yeah, because, yeah, Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, usually they get all the episodes in, and then they start cycling again. Right. But this must be on a short run, because <laughs> I get an email every three months. Saw <laughs> your dad on the Golden Girls. And it's a <laughs> oh double Christ. episode. Yeah. So actually, it gives them more odds in being seen. Yeah. The double episode. Um. Yeah, he, he, he was good at the cute and cuddly, but he was also um, a blacklisted jewish actor with three kids yeah which did not lead to a lot of cuteness and cuddling in in his in his daily life and that is because achieving the cuteness and cuddliness in public there is and i'm not saying it was a fake it was not he was a sweet warm funny guy who had no tolerance
0: for stress at all okay I get that. I relate to he that. Had no, he had
1: no – he had no – the bar for putting stress on my father was so low. It was like – you. and also we, we had um, – we also we, – we, if we had not gone into my sister and my brother and I, into the different things we ended up doing, we would have been incredibly good burglars <laughs> because we had to make sure we never woke him up. He was a sleeping – actor as well mm-hmm. a sleeping mm-hmm. actor is like a wounded lion <laughs> you do not want to awake the sleeping actor you will die if mm-hmm. you awake sleep and that was sort of emblazoned on our brains so that we on a saturday or sunday morning when everyone got to sleep usually you know we were out the door for school and he was still sleeping because sure. he had been in a broadway show the night before mm-hmm. my father worked he was a night worker he might as well have worked at the post office right. or done a shift on the mta you know um he, but he was out at night we had dinner at 6:20. he was out the door for his 8:40 curtain mm-hmm. had the best transportation in show business we lived at the foot of the number 10 bus that went straight up eighth avenue he literally rounded the corner of our building on bank and Bleecker to eighth avenue at the famous deli that's still there with a mm-hmm. big flower vegetable stand it was called the opera deli back then it's now called Abingdon square deli and there's the number 10 bus which shoots straight up eighth avenue and mm-hmm. depending on what theater he got it was either Forty fourth, forty fifth, forty sixth, forty seventh, up to fifty second street. And he would and then he would take the number eleven home that came straight down ninth Avenue where ninth joined Hudson joined. Is this boring?
0: No, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. I love this.
1: Oh my father had had these and I've inherited this. What I've inherited is I seek like water the lowest stress path that mm-hmm. I can find. Yep. My my son is unfortunately Inherited, and though I work hard and all that, so my father's stress level was was rather um, uh, fragile, and and that would end up in kind of explosive behavior. Sure. but never, you know, I, I, I thank my parents for a wonderful childhood and and the love they gave me. I wish they had fucked me up just a little more mm-hmm. because I might be a better writer. Sure, sure, that's fair. Yeah, I might be a better writer, but uh. as it is now, I'm very. I think I think I'm a kind generous person i'm i'm good with my students and all that mm-hmm. and um i just wish i were more battered so that i could bring my pain to the public
0: i get but it that's the way it goes <laughs> my just did, my hard luck did your dad know any of these people on the record was he friends with any of these folks because there there are names on here that you know i'm maybe more familiar with but honestly like betty walker is somebody who i've been wanting to dig more into her work Uh, A lot of these people. Arlene Galanka might be the only person who's still alive from this whole record. She's still alive, and I'm trying to get a hold of her because I'd like to talk to her about this record because I think she's the only person. I hope I'm not insulting anyone. I think she's the only one.
1: Well, my mother had become, she had been an actress, and then she became a homemaker for a while. And as soon as she was able to work, when we were more out the door, she uh, became a casting director and producer and a, a casting director for commercials. Mm -hmm. pretty much exclusively on some small budget movies. But she cast commercials and voiceovers. She was one of the first people to get a celebrity. She did celebrity casting. So she was the one who came up with Henry Fonda for G.A.F. Floors. Oh, my God. And so that she got a famous Henry Fonda for G.A.F. He made it one word. G.A.F. G.A.F. So anyway, she knew everybody already. So oh. did Jack. Mm-hmm. But Lou Jacoby was a friend, and mm-hmm. my father later would go on to be. They would be the dual replacement cast in Sunshine Boys. Okay, love it. And they were the. They were the last replacement, I believe. It was very. The show oh. was really did not have a lot of replacements. It was Jack Albertson and Sam Levine originally. Okay. And then I think my father played with Sam Levine for a short time, and then Luke came in. Um, my father played Willie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the Walter Matthau role. Okay. And Jacoby played what you would know from the movie. I mean, from mm-hmm. the George Burns role and sure. they were terrific together. They were terrific together. Um, all actors uh, criticize each other in the same way for being fussy in their <laughs> way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And my father told a story about Lou Jacoby. And um, he said, yeah, don't eat with Lou. And I go, why not? Pop?" He said, well, if you eat with Lou, he'll order something and he'll order it and then they'll bring it and he'll like pick up and look underneath the slices or whatever it is. And, and then pick around and look and make up a, a bad face, a stinky face. And he'd wave the waiter over and go, waiter, uh, this, uh, this does nothing for me. <laughs> and he would send it back. Now, my father should talk. I have to say my father was not good with the help.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: He was one of those dads who would get very, with the waiter if the food was cold, and I okay. would go, "Bob, it's not his fault. He didn't cook it. He didn't send it out of the kitchen." Your 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 argument, your complaint is with the management, mm-hmm. because I don't care. He brought the food better, so he'd be cranky with waiters. So these actors and food and actors are a big deal, as you yeah. probably know, especially struggling Jewish actors who may have been blacklisted or not getting a good meal was everything because the dollar was so hard to come sure, by. When sure. When you took that dollar to to oh god what was the name of that wonderful cafeteria that we used to go to on Times Square oh I loved it. Anyway um, when you took that dollar to a restaurant you wanted exactly what you paid for. Um, I remember Lou as well as a friend <clears throat> someone that would run into when you're walking down Broadway or something but also this was my memory of Lou I started working in the film industry very early, about 18. Mm-hmm. And the company, I, I, I lost the job. The company actually went out of business. And I was getting unemployment for the first time in my life. And in my family, that was like that was like in the mafia going to jail for the first time. <laughs> I was losing my cherry, was getting your unemployment. And my parents were experts at it. Oh, my God, <laughs> they were experts at it. <laughs> and I just, every question I needed answered about unemployment at the age of 18 uh-huh word do this do that go to line c and then say yes and say no and make sure that you do and da, 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 and don't say anything about bob da, 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 da. okay i got it because then they explain why and they say if you do that then just make sure you're available and you're available that's it none of us is none of their business
0: <laughs> holy shit
1: <laughs> no it's, it's sort of working the system but it was a good yeah. system it actually worked so i was getting $68 a week, which was good money back then. You could, you could eat on that. And I come to the line for if you were in a freelance world, which I was, mm-hmm. the line was different. You went to line C. Mm-hmm. It's Any actor will tell you, oh, yeah, line C. Because you were freelance, you had a different sort of you know, yeah. configuration to your employment. So I'm on line C, and I'm waiting there, and the man that comes up right next to me, it's a long, pretty long, and you just have to wait. These were like the Yugoslav people's lines, you know? Mm -hmm. These were like lines from the Soviet Union timeline. And it was socialism, and that's why they were punishing us, because Mm -hmm. we were partaking. So the man who came up behind me was Lou Mm Jacoby. And I turned, and I knew who he was. I said, Lou, it's me. It's Joe Guilford. He goes, oh, you're all grown up now. I go, yeah, I'm taking on a plum. He goes, me too. And he said, "It's my money, isn't it?"
0: <laughs> Good it man. Like
1: he was being accused of some kind of, you know, some kind of, <laughs> of corruption of some kind. But the first words out of his mouth were, "It's my money, isn't it?" As if, oh no, it's okay, Lou. It's all of our money. Yes, that's <laughs> the whole point. Anyway, uh, that was my encounter with Lou. Now, Arlene mm-hmm. Galaka, I had a huge crush on. I get huge, that. Sure, really beautiful. She was a beautiful Polish-like woman. I think Galanka was like Polish, but she was not Jewish. Okay. Not Jewish. But she was so pretty and so funny. Mm -hmm. Those were the crushes I had. The crushes I had were Polly Bergen, Kay Kendall, Judy Holliday. If a Mm -hmm. woman was pretty and funny, forget it. Forget (laughs) it. I I would fight the crowd, the mob. I would kill. (laughs) <laughs> I would have killed for Kay Kendall. Um, and so um, uh, Arlene Galaka was in that category, and my mother cast her in a couple of commercials. Okay. And she's absolutely adorable. And she did a couple of commercials where some of her phrasing was so funny. There was one commercial she did, and she'll remember when you, when you talk to her. There was one commercial she did where she went, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> oh no, you didn't. I can't forget what it was, but we used to repeat that over and over again. She was famous in our group. And then Phil Leeds. Phil Leeds was one of our dearest friends. He's not on You Don't Have To Be Jewish. Uh-huh. He's on The Sequel When You're in Love The Whole World Is Jewish. Yeah. And which you really must um that's really great to listen to as a sequel because there's so many good songs on it. Yeah. There's such funny songs on it. And it's a song that fantasizes that Cary Grant is Jewish, that this one is Jewish, that they're all Jewish. Because when you're they're Jewish. Because I'm in love, and that's <laughs> it, the song. And it's Phil Leeds who sings it. And until last night, Jason and I have you to thank. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Phil could sing. I love and he it. He sang really well because he wasn't necessarily a music star in his time. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of TV. He was in Romanoff and Juliet with my father. Okay. And they were cast as their name. It was a Jack. And then they were cast as each half an army. (laughs) (laughs) That was the cast. It was Peter Ustinov's play. And they made it into a movie, too. It's really about a mixed marriage. Romanoff being Russian and Mm -hmm. Juliet, I think, being maybe American. Okay. And it's about the it's sort of a Cold War comedy like that, and it almost causes a war. But the country that Romanov comes from, or Juliet maybe, I can't remember, uh, is so small. They only have two-man army. And so that was half arm half the army, Jack Guilford, other half of the army, Philip Leeds. <laughs> and that's they were in together. And they were old friends to the point that years and years later, there was a, a time when many actors simply would um <clears throat> regularly rent apartments in the LA in Hollywood when they went out there and they would go out there without a job and mm-hmm. they rent an apartment and stay for five months and they'd get something. That's wow. how life was. Wow. Or my father would be booked in uh, you know, Get Smart. Sure. And then after Get Smart he'd get it all in the family. And after that he'd get something else or get a movie and then come back to New York. And that was six months. That's so a crazy. time came when he needed to have an apartment there Without having to re-rent or stay at what was called the Sunset Marquee oh, Hotel yeah. uh-huh. off of Sunset, which is, became a place where all these rockers stayed, and it became too expensive. But sure. I, I stayed quite a few times with him at the Marquee, and it was a lot of fun. I bet. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I was 16, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. Anyway, <laughs> um, he got an apartment called the, my favorite because it's almost Yiddish. It's, it was called the Sunset Lanai.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a Lamai is an actually kind of pretty Jewish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you go through Williamsburg nowadays where the jewish where the Orthodox Jews are in Brooklyn, you'll see that many of them live in these these sort of fourteen twelve fourteen story high rises with little patios, little balconies you know on the outside, yeah. and almost all of them have enclosed them as part of and extended the interior space. oh wow, yeah. Many of them and it's legal and it's okay Mm -hmm. to the point that when I got my little Brooklyn apartment, which has a larger version of that on the back of the apartment. It's a nice patio. I have a grill. My mother came to see it for the first time. She lived a few years after I bought it. She came out and she goes, oh, this will be great once you enclose it. (laughs) (laughs) Because the Jews, (laughs) there's no outdoors. (laughs) There's a door. Mm -hmm. But there's no outdoors. <laughs> that's for baseball. You know what I mean? It's oh. That's for organized sports. So that's a lanai. Mm-hmm. So a lanai is an extension of the interior that's then enclosed after the fact. Mm-hmm. And they had an apartment there called, at the Sunset Lanai, which is, I think is Kingsway, a road off of Sunset, a Steep Hill. Oh,
0: my God. It's been a while.
1: Those, those, those Hollywood streets. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Kingsway or okay. Kings. King, King Avenue or something.
0: I will trust you.
1: <clears throat> it's over there by... Las Palmas, you know, all those Hollywood sure, streets. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a very steep, one of those steep hills off of down from Sunset. And they lived at Sunset Lanai where in residence at his own apartment was Phil Leeds. Okay. And it was one of those places with a little common pool. It was really tacky. Sure. It was really old Hollywood with the balcony, two, just two or three stories high. Everyone entered, you know, like a motel. Everyone entered a door onto the outer balcony, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where Phil lived with his his wife, Toby, who um, was a very bad smoker. Very bad. Bad! (laughs) And anyway, Phil was one of the funniest people we knew. One of the funniest, most talented people we knew. And he was in, my biggest thrill was knowing him and that he was, uh, surprised me when I saw in 1969 that he was in a movie I saw for the first time called Rosemary's Baby. Oh, sure. And he played one of the coven,
0: mm-hmm.
1: very quiet, and he had a very permanent kind of smile. And he <laughs> nodded and he just knew that, oh, goody, we're going to have Satan's baby now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rosemary. But he never said a line, never said a line. So funny. Uh, and Phil Leeds was in that, too. So he uh, Phil comes up. But when I listened last night to the record, I heard him sing for the first time. And he yeah. was a glorious singer. He's a glorious singer. It's wonderful.
0: That's remarkable. I love it. I, it these are the sort of, you know, I, I love character actor connections. And I, I also don't like honestly like those those seem like little stories maybe to you but I mean I think those are little things that uh, those little pops that keep them uh, alive and I like those I like those things those are you know, nice these are the
1: stories I love
0: yeah these are the stories I
1: love um, you you know these these men and women struggled as working actors at a time when it was I would say comparatively easy but no one thought it was easy back then it mm-hmm. was more work if I was miss- more work.
0: Am I, so on the second record, which I apologize I did not listen to, I've heard it before But oh. I didn't listen to it in preparation yeah. But I know it enough well,
1: As a professor, I, I, would, I would be very kind to you right now And say, <laughs> Jason, that's not like you
0: <laughs> uh, uh, Little do you know, it is very like me um, But Valerie Harper is on yes. the second record Because she was friends with Arlene galonka And she, oh. she gave her She's like, hey, uh, I can't do this record Can you do it please? Which is, wow, kind of remarkable
1: well, there you go—the the fraternity, the sorority of actors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, uh, people uh, uh, gave each other jobs. They did, and um, uh, again, it was great to see those people. And then everyone else on it—I um, don't, I didn't know Betty Walker, and I'm not sure, but I'm sure my parents knew her in some way. Mm-hmm. And I always remembered it, of course, as Nancy Walker, okay. who was a lot more famous and had a real Hollywood career. Okay. In the f- 40s and 50s yeah but then when i listened to it i went oh this is betty walker and of course because i don't think nancy walker is jewish okay i'm not sure i don't think she's jewish i could be wrong someone is gonna send you an email now just <laughs> tell guilford he's full of shit
0: i'm the last nancy. person who gets to, to to determine whether or not that's the case but i will take your word for it
1: <laughs> i don't but i'm bet- looking her up right now, now i I'll will say betty walker we've up, talked
0: we have talked about Betty Walker's uh, one of her albums before. We we did listen to Betty Walker's first album on this this podcast once. One one of my guests was like, you know, this looks this looks interesting because I had it in my collection. We listened to it and it's 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 a delight. It is also it is very much like a. It's kind of like uh, we just talked about. Um, Mm-mm-mm, my brain has stopped working My apologies She played Mrs. Goldberg On the Goldbergs Back oh, in the 50s uh,
1: um, Gertrude uh, Berg Gertrude Berg,
0: yes So we talked about her For a whole episode And it's very I mean She just does this whole record That's very much similar to, It's it's a Jewish mother And it's the whole record And it's the part She's playing on uh, This record As well You know She's she kind of her, taking that so part So this
1: is Nancy Walker's uh, Sorry, Betty, Betty Walker. Walker's Own album Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of, Jewish, of a Jewish uh, woman Oh, that's great. Yeah
0: yeah, it's good stuff, and it's it's, it's mostly, if I'm not mistaken, I could be misremembering, but mostly phone stuff, just her side of a conversation, uh, Newhart and Shelley Berman style, and you know, for uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Also, uh, his, my brain is my brain is fried. Listen, well, here's the thing. This is why the show's ending. <laughs> no, here's
1: the thing with Alec Baldwin. It's nothing to do. No I'm kidding.
0: Um, <laughs> sorry, it's
1: one of my actually favorite shows. He really, he's he's a very good interviewer.
0: Now. Is he? And he okay. loves to
1: just get down there and whisper to his, <laughs> to his guests and say, Jason, Jason, the, 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 the show is an immense success. You are an immense success. Tell us, where did it begin and, and is it going to end? <laughs> and why is it ending? Why is it? But he's so intense. Sure. He really fancies himself a great interviewer.
0: I'm sure he does. I'm not surprised. Yeah. The shows okay. are good. He has
1: good guests. You know what he did? He did... He had interviews with Herb Alpert, one hour with really? Herb Alpert.
0: Yeah, interesting.
1: One hour with Dick Cavett, one mm-hmm. hour with um, uh, oh god, it's just you name it.
0: Yeah, I can't remember who. Well, the I mean, last he's famous. He one hour, hour with, with Billy, Billy Joel.
1: One hour with Billy Joel.
0: Yeah,
1: um, uh, just incredible interviews with people and just the right people. Um, uh, writers too and directors mm-hmm. and, and, and actors and stuff anyway he's one of my I'm sorry yes now like, no it's fine oh yes talk to the minor league ball team about the Yankees this is what I'm doing now. this is you know that team
0: hardly I've been doing it Yankees. longer They're than he has
1: te- no you've been doing it longer and actually you interrupt much less than he does oh good he's always jumping in and it's sort of annoying <laughs> that's, that's one of the annoying things but he can be tell more. me about
0: Uptown Girl that's I want right. to know a little bit more about Uptown Girl that's very Sounds good, a lot like said. a Frankie Valli song. Is that, that, that what you're education. going for? Okay, great. Thanks. All right, moving that's, on. Have you heard my right. Trump impression?
1: Uh, boy. No, let's hear it. <laughs> Give me nightmares. I dare you. Yeah, right.
0: Oh, God, never again. Never again. I don't even know that name. I didn't even hear it when I said well, it.
1: Steve Colbert will not say it and Fair.
0: not show it fully spelled. Good man.
1: It's T- asterisk a, a star 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 and Damn. then he will say the former guy the da 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 and yeah, then yeah. he asked he asked all the viewers to send in an appropriate nickname <laughs> and uh-huh. so now he has thousands of them that he does in one sentence he'll do three love it <laughs> i'm a big fan
0: can i tell you it's really funny you and i have both been drinking through this whole episode not alcohol we've been both <laughs> hydrating it's very hot here in los angeles right it now yourself pal Oh, okay. It's, Fair enough. You got a bottle of gin.
1: It, it's six thirty. <laughs> it looks like uh, Poland Springs. <laughs> more like Poland Springs Eternal Palace. <laughs>
0: It just makes me think of my favorite joke on the whole thing, which, again, I know I've heard before the record, which is just the, oh, am I toasty? Yes. Oh, toisty. I toasty? It's a stupid joke. My
1: favorite is, so, <laughs> tell, darling, don't worry, I'll cook dinner, I'll come over, I'll put the kids to bed, I'll do that, and tell tell you, but listen, honey, if there was so much snow and the car wouldn't start, how did Paul get to work? Paul? Who's <laughs> Paul? Your husband, Paul. I don't have a husband. Oh, my God. Then who is this? Is this Fremont 76255? No. This is Fremont 76256. Well, I'm sorry that I guess she goes, but does this mean you're not coming? That's my favorite (laughs) joke. It's such
0: a perfect joke. It's a perfect joke. (laughs) And again, you're, you're, again, stereotypically, sure, it's Jewish, but it is, it's mom. It is a mom thing, like, universally, I think. It is very... Well,
1: every culture, every immigrant culture that I know
0: Mm -hmm.
1: has a wonderful uh, um, matriarchal matriarchal, uh, history and myth. Mm -hmm. And patriarchal, too, in a way. But the Italian mother, the Jewish mother the Russian babushka. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, every culture. I don't think the French have a mom.
0: That would be interesting to know.
1: The French mom mostly sneers Mm -hmm. and says, you never look good in that outfit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And I don't think there is the adorable, loving, warm soup making British mom. No, I think there's the one who says, don't worry. We'll get through it. Like we did the war.
0: Very much so. Yeah, yep. That's my favorite. But these slash. <laughs>
1: ethnic cultures that we uh, we experience in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's a very valuable lesson because I remember the Italian mothers my Italian friends grew up, mm-hmm. and I grew up in the West Village when it was truly Italian Irish neighborhood. It was yeah. mixed, totally mixed. It was not a rich neighborhood. It was not a gentrified neighborhood. The people at brownstones usually inherited them. From 50 60 generations you know they yeah and then it was not a hollywood street it did become that a little bit bank street particularly because charles Corral moved onto to the block the great newsman mm-hmm. from cbs Tammy grimes and mm-hmm. rex harrison wow. moved into the building um 30 bank which was then purchased by alan arkin really yes by and, and that was where adam tony and Matthew grew up, all a bit younger than me, <clears throat> mm-hmm, and um, and there, that was so. It, it did start to become that. But when I was growing up there, it was really a working class neighborhood, and, and okay. so those ethnic things were, were very present in, in in all around us. But yeah, the Jewish mother is, you know, it's it's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with it as far no. as I. <laughs> no, of
0: course, come on.
1: The meddling Jewish, and and what I love in the segment, my father's major segment, which is the reading of the will,
0: <laughs> was,
1: and to my daughter Shirley, a lovely, delightful woman who perhaps has been a little too picky or else she'd be married by now, <laughs> I leave a million dollars tax <laughs>
0: Passive-aggressive beyond the grave. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's
1: just it's... wonderful. <sighs> It's like, it's it's not even coded subtext. It is <laughs> subtext brought to the surface in a way, in a in an, like a dam breaking open. It's wonderful. And it's wonderful. Uh, there's one joke that I'm sorry they didn't have there, but I think it mm-hmm. might be been too sophisticated for radio. There's a, a joke I know, which is one of my favorites. <clears throat> and a, a 96-year-old Jewish woman mm-hmm. on her walker coming down a, st- a sidewalk in Miami. And she's walking and sweating in the sun. And suddenly, a flasher jumps out from the bushes, opens his coat like that, and stands there. And she points down, and she goes, you call that a lining? <laughs> so
0: stupid. That's a
1: good one. Lewis Black was a friend of mine at one time, and he remembers when he fronted for Jerry Seinfeld. It was a big break mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. And he came on, and Jerry's manager came backstage. Nice and tough jewish guy he said okay lou just one thing don't go blue keep it clean okay <laughs> it was like it was like before a price fight came huh. back. two words bang those gloves let's go that clean fight right keep it clean <laughs> don't go blue and he left the room <laughs> wow. wow i think it was like it was vegas or something you know just don't go blue on me
0: don't go blue wow wow it's
1: jerry's crowd it's not jerry doesn't go blue
0: sure sure <laughs> anyway sure <laughs>
1: So, so many things um, I could say right now.
0: Uh, I feel like <laughs> – um, oh, shit. What was my question? Son of a bitch. It probably wasn't a good question either. No, you That's just why started it's not cursing a lot. This is great. I love swearing. It's my favorite thing.
1: <laughs> well, it was my first drug, cursing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. My gateway drug. We, when mm-hmm. we were eight, nine, ten years old, we would go mm-hmm. places together. Guys, mm-hmm. you know. We'd go places to find places to curse together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: True. We'd go curse, and then we'd invent mad, deluxe, long, like Shakespearean curses, and we'd chain like nine words together, mm-hmm. and whoever could memorize it or at least give it a poetic rhythm mm-hmm. was really we would we would stand for that. It was fantastic, yeah, cursing was an am- is an amazing thing. It's really an amazing thing because when people lose have a stroke or a cranial injury mm-hmm. they lose sometimes they lose the power of speech but they retain the power to curse mm-hmm. because it resides in a different part of your brain yeah it was a dr kildare we used to watch dr kildare in the 60s and uh, harry gardino who was a really good new york actor was on an episode where he had aphasia which is that brain sure. problem and and he couldn't remember anything except he kept saying and we imitated him of course for months after this he kept saying damn damn oh hell damn 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 that's all he could say mm-hmm. and they were trying to say in their own censored kind of network way he can only curse but this is all we can give him to say <laughs> because of standards and practices oh my God. damn damned hell damn damn and the nurses are shocked that he's saying uh-huh. damn
0: all the time <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly it's not dissimilar i'm not uh by any means uh, anybody uh, any kind of a scientist but uh people with tourettes also you know it, it is it is one of the things they default to with if if you have verbal tourettes uh, as part of their tics it's it's interesting right. why it's so i mean that also would explain why it is so friggin cathartic to just let one out at the at just the it's, right time. The right it moment. is. No, it
1: is. Cathartic is the word. Absolutely right. Absolutely Were
0: you, right. I'm assuming you weren't in the audience for this record. This was only adults. No,
1: no, I don't know. Yeah, I know I, I was not. Uh, though I resent the fact that I wasn't and I can't think of why. I might have mm-hmm. been in school. Sure. might have been a weekday. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> uh, no, but I love that they had an audience too. Also, yes. this was a time that comedy on record was sort of important.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It became more important later with George Carlin, Mm -hmm. Steve Martin, but Carlin and and Robert Klein. Robert Klein's Child of the 60s was a very famous album that we all memorized. Mm Mm-hmm. Sesu, yes. Lithuanian language records. Sesu, yes. sesu, yes. Every record ever recorded driven to your door. <laughs> <laughs> he would do this late night commercial. But that was a time when you paid attention to what was coming out on record. And my yeah. parents had in their collection, which I would then, I, 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 they let me go into their bedroom or borrow their records. And I had my own little record player. And I was listening to, at 12, 13, 14 to Bob Newhart before he became a big star. Oh, all right.
0: Good stuff. Amazing.
1: Pat harrington uh-huh was good yeah was really good and i'm just trying to remember the actor oh god uh booked solid oh god he was a really good actor oh, was we, in a, yeah yeah paul Dooley.
0: paul Dooley, you know the album i re-released it digitally for him oh my god you're a hero <laughs> i take <laughs> it's a, it's back everything record. i've heard about
1: <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, Jason. God bless you. That's really a mitzvah. That was one of my favorite albums. And Paul was, well, Paul was, I think he was Second City. Was he not?
0: Uh, yes, yes. Uh, but the thing is, here's why I get confused is he's older than he at all ever comes across. So he, he might've even been involved before it was the second city, but I think you're right. I think it was just the second city. Well, the compass
1: players, he may have been compass players. (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah, That's why I'm trying to remember. I feel like he was, I apologize, Paul, for not remembering off the top of my head, but he's He's been there for the beginning of everything. He, you know, for all these, uh, you know what? He also recorded something that I am uh, desperately on the hunt for. It was never released. He did a JFK album and wow. and uh, i know who he who it was written by and i've been in touch with that man's widow and i'm i'm just just like please are are there tapes because i want that to be released even he's it's a weird still alive.
1: thing he's 93
0: yeah yeah and, and he's still uh, yeah
1: married to uh, winnie Holtzman, who's also very gifted uh, oh, a wonderful yeah. tv comedy writer and showrunner yeah and screenwriter yeah Both no i think there's people. that pat harrington paul dooley um, mm-hmm. then of course when i got into and i turned 15 or 16, Mm -hmm. the Lenny Bruce recording started coming my way. And that was the world just cracking open Mm -hmm. in a way that it never did before. And we memorized those two. And I passed this on to my son, who with the age of 13 or 14 was standing up. He's not doing it anymore. But Mm -hmm. he was standing up at the age of 13 or 14. And I gave him the complete works on CD.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I don't know how. I I, I remember how I wore out an LP. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you wear out a CD, but he did it. Sure. He did it, and he, he memorized all the stuff like I did, and we can we can talk in Lenny East, <laughs> in Leninium,
0: it, or whatever it's called. Is there a particular bit that the two of you are fond of? I just yeah.
1: remember single lines. Who, if I say them to certain people, they'll laugh. Um, <sighs> one big boy tablet and four tubes of airplane glue. That's one <laughs> line. No one has really... I mean he cracked through everything for everybody there don rickles credits him with the fact that rickles was able to be profane and racial and stuff in his way and and rickles we rickles i listened to his recordings and for one of my birthdays it may have been my 20th or 22nd anyway my parents Mm -hmm. took me to the copa to see him
0: oh my god live
1: And it was amazing. And he did it. You know, I'd been listening to his stuff. And you just couldn't stop laughing. It was rapid (laughs) fire and all well planned. And um, he was amazing. So I got a lot of this under my belt. And then my son fell in love with comedy. So we saw one of Carlin's last shows. Oh, wow. It's possible. And then we saw, like, we went to see David Tell. Mm
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. Who my
1: son loved yeah. And that was a sick show they had a sure. couple of comics there people the first comic went up we thought he was hilarious but yeah. a couple of people walked out
0: <laughs> i love
1: that if you can make people walk out especially if you have the opening comic mm-hmm. it's
0: like
1: what a triumph that must feel like. <laughs> you know people I... women getting up going this is just terrible i'm getting i'm going you did it pal <laughs> you
0: did it <laughs> i would probably be one of the ones walking out i'm oh, I'm, come on. I'm not kidding i'm very I, i'm picky though that's it i'm just very picky well some of thing. these guys a tale is pretty funny i, I think mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard from him in a long time okay i want to make sure we all right let's see how do we do this did we cover everything we covered a lot i mean we did cover a <laughs> lot and at least we did talk about your like you know some of your favorite bits on the record um oops let me sorry let me make a note here um let's see um Let's talk about why listen to this record. Let's say you don't you're not familiar with sketch from this time period. Maybe you're not familiar with your dad's work. Maybe you're not feeling familiar with these other people. Why give this record a listen?
1: I think this rep- record has timeless humor that if done outside if you tried to if you tried to do it in a generic kind of way mm-hmm. I don't think it works. I think it is ethnically Jewish. And these jokes have been told for millennia.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Millennia in the Catskills. Yeah. (laughs) When the Jews came to the promised land, Liberty, New York, they don't call it Liberty for nothing, um, but they're timeless and they're classic. They're really definitely classic. I don't understand the science of it or the, history of it i mean uh, an academic might but what i believe is that there is just as there is spiritual music mm-hmm. descended from african-american slaves becoming the blues mm-hmm. you, you can't do that any other way yeah. that evolution has to happen that way and it's immutable and it is culturally permanent and this humor is, I believe, culturally permanent. I really do. This yeah. is, this is, this is Da Vinci.
0: Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> one of those. Nickel,
1: this is Michelangelo. This is, yeah.
0: That's uh, yeah. perfect. I mean, it's it. it's one of the reasons why, you know, <laughs> as a little kid growing up in upstate New York, I really thought. That I needed to be Jewish to be funny, and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Why can't? Why the fuck am I not Jewish? Why was I not raised Jewish? Why is this not a thing?" And then you know, eventually you sort of get it, but uh, sort of get it, and you try and be funny anyway.
1: Jewish and, comics joke about their families. Mm-hmm. No other comics, and and some Irish and some, but mm-hmm. for instance, Steve Martin never talked about his family.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Never joked about his mother.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Never talked about her as a meddling domineering wonderful woman right right you know so so they have there is there is there are cultural roots here mm-hmm. um mario Cantone, who i think is one of the few italian american comics who kills me mm-hmm. and you know he does the most intensely surreal and frightening and incredible liza minnelli you have ever seen oh yeah oh yeah oh, oh it's breathtaking breathtaking we saw him on broadway that's another show I Oh do. okay my son too we saw him on broadway and he, he, i don't see him enough but anyway that ethnic th- th- that ethnicity each one has their ethnicity so i mean actually robert klein and mario can talk about but mario talks about italian guys trying to pick up a girl mm-hmm. and and his picking up a girl in boston where he grew up was was hey what's your name hey give me a cigarette hey what's your name What's your name? Hey, what's your name? <laughs> Give me a cigarette. Hey, what's your name? In <laughs> he, can't, he can't be able to do it over and over again. Whereas Robert Klein does an imitation of the guys from um, uh, DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. Oh, did he go? He went how to DeWitt. I, how did I yeah. not know
0: that? Of course. There's a, there's a, Yeah, he's I'm, a I'm Bronx I'm annoyed kid. that I didn't know that. Okay.
1: He's a Bronx. And his imitation of it, hey, sweetheart, <laughs> hey, come over here. <laughs> These are the suave, these are the Don Juans of their ethnic mm-hmm. group. They're both slightly different is what I was getting at, but both get yeah. at the same thing, is that these, you know, I don't, don't know that, I know that Patton Oswalt has a working class kind of patina mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. it were. There's something rough and tumble about him, something damaged. Maria Branford. now, she's yeah. a family comic,
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: She does her family. And there was her. Did she did it. She did a show. She did a special. Yeah. Where because she was still in her depressive state and on medication and couldn't really leave the house.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. She put
1: on a show for her parents only in with the yeah. black curtain in the living room. So good. I mean, this is courage beyond the pale. These people oh, yeah. are so brave. Yeah, and she is bizarrely funny, and she did that little documentary with Patton. And who's that third very tall guy?
0: Uh, oh, uh, Brian Posehn. Brian Posehn. He's also yeah. quite gifted. But yeah, yeah. there's a scene with her out in a field
1: uh-huh. on her cell phone, mm-hmm. giving herself notes for future material. That's
0: right. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Twenty
1: yeah. minutes on her cell, and they have the camera very far away. So she doesn't know they're recording. And at the end of it, she says, Did you shoot that? (laughs) Oh my God. Did you shoot? And the stuff she's talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, generating this is why my father stopped doing stand up. Yeah. Generating new material is a long, painful, and endless process. Yeah. Because you can tour, but that's it. That material is gone. You cannot, it's not like music it's not like having a hit record yeah you could reprise some of what your favorite bits Mm -hmm. i don't think you can do that i really don't think you can do that unless you're doing impressions then yes and richard Pryor, in uh, some one of his last movies said okay i'll do mudbone all right Mm -hmm. this is the last time yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so i think that what banford shows and all of them and my father too Coming up with new material is endless and difficult. And so he became an actor in sort of almost by accident, but not. I mean, he meant to be cast in roles. He had no training. He mm-hmm. had no training. He just acted. And he was able to get into major dramas on Broadway. He was in The Diary of Anne Frank. was like his one of his big Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Just Before that, he had been in... He, he toured in a famous sketch comedy show called We the People. Mm-hmm. It was the Saturday night live of its time. Okay. It was, and it was at an LA production. My father was in it. It came to Broadway and everyone was discovered. Jack Albertson, wow. Nanette Fabre, a bunch of other people. Holy and Christ. 1942, 43. So, uh, he did that. And then he started doing his clubs, kept doing his club stuff and toured and toured, lived out of a suitcase for years, did not get married till he was 44. And, um, uh, was not intending to get married. My mother made it clear to him that if he didn't, that was it. Fair. And, and, and she said, "You either marry me or I'm gone." And so he did. Forty years later, they had a you know great, crazy, great marriage. Anyway, so he became an actor because he wanted. To, he had to stop writing new material. It was too hard. It was just too hard. Also, the life of a comic—you're really constantly on tour, whereas if you're an actor you're either on broadway or you're doing a tv show you're you're planted somewhere for a period of time yeah and once as i said once his fame and our kind of um, near ability to take care of ourselves as children <laughs> sort of coincided in other words they could have waited another year or two but they said oh the hell with it <laughs> we gotta go to l.a we gotta make some money to keep these kids in sure school, you know yeah. And uh so they did and um I think that's what he enjoyed was was being planted and not having to tour and not having to create new material.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh yeah, we didn't even get into his stand up. I d do, do you know I might have asked this uh, when I spoke with you with Josh, but uh are, I think I did ask this. Is there there's no recordings of his work, right? Or or of yes, his Yes, there the are. You no know, no. There are you know, okay. what I
1: have to do is I think he did. A, he took it the one-man show he did in the 80s, which I directed. Oh, yeah, right. We took it to various places, Pasadena Playhouse, The, the Egg in Albany, and then finally The Ballroom in New York. And mm-hmm. uh, it was very successful. That is a conglomeration of almost all of his old club routines from Cafe Society, which, which really don't date that much. I mean, it was amazing. And it's funny, speaking of BoJack Horseman, his routine of a racehorse that has makes it big and then gets starts drinking and taking drugs and running around with women finally ends up (laughs) pulling a junk wagon in the bronx (laughs) and i can't do the physical thing he did but it's Mm -hmm. so quick and has such a wonderful comic punchline uh he also he imitated animals Mm -hmm. he imitated animals so that's in that and i have a tape of that and i will i will drop box Brother, oh, okay. yeah, 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 I, I would will. Love to I see will it. get that on somehow, and uh, that is the extent of what he did for decades as as a comic.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, I would love to see it. That would be great. Um, is there anything you would like to promote? Is there anything oh. where people can find you? Well, I wrote a book. Uh huh. I wrote a book on screenwriting mm-hmm. called
1: "Why Does the Screenwriter Cross the Road," and it's a <laughs> handy guide mm-hmm. to people who want to take up screenwriting. It's and it's like just being in a room with me for 40 hours, mm-hmm. if that's what you want. And there is an audio version of it too, which is really like the Chinese water torture, but it's not. Mm-hmm. People have called me and said, You're, this is great. I did the recording. If you can stand the sound of my voice, <laughs> please, get the audio recording. Uh, um, why does the screenwriter cross the road and other screenwriting s- secrets? by Joe Guilford, but also I, I, I'm a story coach. I do this, uh, you know, I teach at NYU. Um, and I also have a service called StoryRescue.com. one mm-hmm. word StoryRescue.com. And I am happy to look at the drek that you wrote <laughs> and help you make it undrecky love it to, un- to undreck it as it were. It's
0: <laughs> perfect. Uh, well, thank you so much for thank doing the show. Thank you for that. Thank thank
1: you, Jason. This is always great because there's nothing i like to talk about more than show business. It's almost all that I know.
0: (laughs) Well, thank God you know something because I don't. And so that's why I need guests. Oh, you know know plenty.
1: Um, I don't follow (laughs) sports. So the only stats I know are how many seasons something ran,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: who was on it most, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. You know, it's not batting averages that I remember. It's that that kind of stuff. And yeah, yeah. I'm pretty good at remembering who wrote what and who directed what. I like that as sort of a, a thing that I have in my head.
0: It's a good kind I, of encyclopedia to keep going. You I know. enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again. I Jason, really appreciate thank it. Thank you.
1: It has been a real pleasure. And I guess I'll catch
0: up with you as your show comes to a climactic close. And I will tell everybody thank you all for listening. And as always. Have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records, Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment.
1: Hey, it's my turn. Ah!